Getting sober requires a lot more than mind over matter, a lot more than willpower. It's about leveraging the support around you. People in recovery typically need a mix of medical help, emotional support, and changes in lifestyle to manage their addiction, not just mental determination. As both a therapist and someone embracing the recovery lifestyle, there's one tool I always recommend to people needing extra accountability, Soberlink. Soberlink is a high-tech breath analyzer system designed to help you get and stay sober. And here's why I love it. You'll test the same day every day, eliminating testing anxiety. Friends and family receive instant test results, helping you rebuild trust and preventing relapse. Accountability is a part of that, and it's something to really be embraced. Devices have built-in facial recognition, so your support circle knows you're testing, and tamper-resistant sensors flag any attempts at trying to beat the system, so your sobriety is never questioned. So let 2024 be your best year yet. Visit Soberlink.com forward slash T-A-M to sign up and receive $50 off your device. That's Soberlink.com forward slash T-A-M. And let accountability be your guide. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Addicted Mind podcast. We are on to episode 118. My name is Dwayne Osterlin, and I am your host. And our guest today is Mona Balog, and she's going to talk about her book, How to Stay Out of My Emergency Room, Master Your Health, and Find Joy in Your Life by Balancing the Power of Your Mind, Your Body, and Your Higher Self. It was a great conversation with Mona just about her discoveries as an ER doctor and working with people who were continually coming into her ER and wondering, why are these people not changing? And then one day stumbling into an addiction treatment conference, and it really shifted everything for her as she started to look through her clients really started to change her whole mindset as she started to see this issue as bigger than just behavior, but also spiritual. I think you're going to really enjoy this episode. Also, once again, if you are enjoying the Addicted Mind podcast, please share it with a friend or write a review on iTunes. I really do appreciate that. That really gets this podcast a lot of exposure and enables people to find this information if they need it and it can be helpful to them. So for anyone who has done that, thank you very much. Okay, let's go ahead and start this episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Addicted Mind podcast. I'm excited to have our guest on today, Mona Balog, who is going to talk about her book, How to Stay Out of My Emergency Room, Master Your Health and Find Joy in Life by Balancing the Power of Your Mind, Your Body, and Your Higher Self. All right, Mona, introduce yourself, please. <laughs> um, so thank you very much, 
Right. My name is Mona Balog, and that, that is my book. It's my only book. It took me 22 years to write. Awesome. <laughs> uh, literally. I'm a, actually a retired emergency physician, and uh, I'm now a very active grandma. I've got a little two-year-old grandson and a two-month-old granddaughter. So uh, I've left the ER, but uh, still full of ER stories. And obviously, since I wrote the book, um, I've, I've become a, a speaker about uh, how to stay out of emergency rooms. So that's where I am right now. Awesome. Well, thank you for joining us and, and coming on. I was excited to have you on because I, I wanted to talk about your experience in the ER. I had listened to some other podcasts that you were on and listened to your story. And I found that really compelling. So I'd love to to kind of hear about your evolution through this process and getting to this book. Right. So um, I was just a typical doctor, basically funneled into well, college, medical school, residency uh, in ER, which I did at County Hospital here in, in Los Angeles. And then when I started, actually, I did start working in the ER when I was a medical student in, in Dallas. I found the excitement just tremendous. I'm kind of an adrenaline junkie, uh, as are my colleagues, as it turns out. Uh, we do like the excitement. We aren't bothered by disturbing environments. In fact, we're, we're energized by them. So I was kind of typical, and, and I practiced medicine just like everybody else did by the book. And ER medicine is truly cookbook medicine. You have a, a certain set of well, diagnoses, diagnostic possibilities, and then treatment plans. And then you put them in and you actually do them and voila, the patient gets better. So that's my introduction. That was my introduction to just plain old basic emergency medicine. As I grew older, I got married, I had kids. I realized that there's not simply a cookbook environment to diagnosis and treatment. I realized there's also a, uh, a spiritual element. Right. Um, and so that I hadn't recognized because I grew up very secular. In fact, my dad was an atheist. So I grew up secular without any spiritual awareness. I mean, obviously we're all spiritual people, but my spiritual awareness came when I was in an interview. Actually, I was, I was in the audience of an interview of an alcoholic and this alcoholic looked like a typically, you know, just a normal person, very healthy. And when he introduced himself, he said his name. And then he said, I am an alcoholic. And I thought, whoa, no, you're not. You're a nice, normal, healthy person. So that somehow struck my soul. And I didn't realize at the time it was my soul. It just, it struck me. Um, and, and that interview stayed with me from that point on. And, and, and it was kind of the buildup of the rest of my spiritual awareness. So at that point, I had just been introduced to Alcoholics Anonymous and the whole anonymous worldview, uh, which intrigued me as I went on in my, my practice. And I practiced in a typical suburban Kaiser hospital in the LA area. I always thought, wow, you know, what if, what if these patients that I'm treating for whatever have some kind of spiritual element to their illness? And it was clinched when I went to an addiction medicine conference through Kaiser. And one of the presenters was an addiction medicine physician who had treated numerous, numerous patients who didn't just have alcohol addiction. And, you know, obviously I 
treated lots of drug addicts as well as alcoholics, they had what, what he called at the time, it, uh, it was more like a, a, an emptiness in their soul. Right. Yeah. And, and that emptiness needed to be filled with something. So, and so be, before we go, I want, I want, I definitely want to get, get into that and, and talk about that part of it. But I also think a really important part that you talk about is your early experience, experiences dealing with individuals who were kind of coming into your ER over and over again. I think in the book, you call them like frequent flyers where they come in and I want to hear a little bit about your early experience in dealing with these individuals in in that space when you were there. Okay, so the frequent flyers, we all we, that's what we called them from the very beginning. I, I always knew them as frequent flyers. People who would come in over and over again, almost always for the same problem, with the same sense of empowerment. They had this dramatic empowerment over us, and they knew that they could manipulate us on a certain level to get what they wanted. So the, the frequent flyer, uh, my, my sister's a psychiatrist. So uh, when she read my book, she said, oh, these are my good, healthy neurotics. Right, right. And they're just people who have a really strong sense of themselves, but they really, they, they go about expressing that sense in a, in, in, in a non-healthy way. So that's, that's a neurotic, uh, a good, healthy neurotic. But then when it gets unhealthy, Okay, so this is where my evolution came in. I would see these people, and as with all of my colleagues, we would just roll our eyes and go, why are you here again? And they would look back at us as if we were the, they would roll their eyes at us. Of course I'm here because of some obvious problem, and you need to fix us. So I did the eye roll. They did the eye roll back. There was no communication, basically. I just, you know, treated them and either admitted them or sent them back home, back out. And it just went on and on until this addiction medicine conference. Right. And that that was my turning point. My turning point was there's some problem here that is completely, it's this huge gorilla in the room that's completely being ignored. I'm rolling my eyes, they're rolling their eyes back at me. And nothing's changing. Nothing's changing. So the big gorilla is this, my evolution in seeing those people in a completely different way. Right. So that's where, that's where I then was able to move forward with my book. Yeah. And I think that is such a common expression when people haven't had that experience or worked in addiction, kind of going like, why do you, why do you keep doing the same harmful thing? over and over. And even in a way, the person who's doing the harmful thing to themselves over and over again, I think on a certain level, you know, we know we're doing it, but we can't stop. Right. And until we kind of have that shift where we can see it from this other perspective, it's, it's hard to understand it. And I think that's so common. And I think a lot of people who don't struggle with addiction have a hard time seeing it through that lens that you evolved to. Right, right, exactly. And so for me, again, with back to this addiction medicine conference, another presenter brought up the yin-yang symbol. And for him, the the yin was a place. It was a space. And and the yang was a place that you aspire to. So that's where I came up with, well, 
they, they came up with it, obviously, but that that actually completed the picture for me. It was a picture of a of a system, and the gorilla became a, a human being, either in their yin persona or in their yang persona. You're in one or the other, but then as complicated human beings, we're actually a combination of both. So that's why the yin yang symbol being so intimately connected and and inter post is is critical for me right yeah definitely so tell me so you went to this conference and you started talking you started seeing this addiction doctor and then you started to do more work right right so the work that i didn't realize how much work it was going to be <laughs> right. it just started uh, as with any addiction whether you are the addicted or you're the treater of the addiction or just the, the loved one or caregiver, whoever, uh, it's enormous work because you're dealing with an enormous gorilla. And not necessarily a gorilla in a threatening, horrible sense. You're dealing with something that's big and, and almost unapproachable. So I, I did a lot of studying. I, I actually did uh, something called energy medicine. I studied that, uh, which is actually being able to sense and describe the energetic body. And that has to do with chakras and all kinds of other esoteric things, but they, they become very real when you enter that space, that uh, uh, energetic or spiritual space. Okay. Let's call it spiritual. Let's get right down to brass tacks here. So uh, yes, I did a lot of studying. I I did those courses in energy medicine. Uh, I studied acupuncture of all kinds of alternative medicine, trying to figure out the next time I, I saw a patient who was in a literally a self-defeating yin spiral down, and the next time I saw that patient, I could look at him or her and say, I think I know where you're coming from. Wow. And how can I help you? <laughs> and boy, that opened up some real avenues for, for those patients. Just that, that little opening that made that made them realize that I saw them, I saw them, and I saw their addiction. Wow! So they were able to, you were able to just be present with that, and then they were able to be present back with you, and in a way, this spiritual healing could start to happen. Yes, right. And over the years, you know, as I've taken this in, into retirement with my grandkids and my, my kids and, and, and my other relationships, I, I've realized that this, this gorilla thing is actually, it's, it's a relationship ball or a relationship. Um, well, I, it's two-dimensional in, in the yin-yang illustrations in my book, but it's actually multidimensional. So it's a relationship, right? So I was able to see them through that relationship in a much more complex and, and, deeper way. And they were able to look back at me and go, yeah, she, she understands me, I think. <laughs> right, I'm not quite right. sure, but I think. And they were able to open up through that relationship ball. Wow. It sounds like you you started in this, you know, in this very intellectual kind of space, I guess, treating right. people, like looking at it, and then going to that conference, you saw this whole other side and it it opened up this whole other dimension of healing that I I mean, I think it's so important working in the addiction field, being seen is, uh, you know, and someone compassionately seeing you when, you know, you're already probably, 
you know, most addicts are already filled with shame and already filled with right. self-loathing. <laughs> they know, right. like, I don't really want to be doing this. They don't know how to stop. And when someone just listens to them, uh, it can be so powerful. Right. Absolutely. Well, I mean, obviously, that's what the 12-step program is all about, is having others listen and hear you, but not getting away with anything right. that they don't already know. So it's a beautiful, beautiful shared relationship ball in a 12-step program. Right. So you started studying, uh, I guess, this alternative medicine. I guess we could call it alternative right. medicine. And what did you start to find in it? You started to find all these different elements. Well, right. So I found two very big principles. One is there is a general environment that applies to everybody. And then there's a special environment that applies just the individual. It's a unique environment. So there's so many things out there that will help an individual, but may not help everybody generally. Medicine is, well, allopathic medicine, traditional, our traditional medicine, Western medicine, I should say, it tries to generalize in a very physical way in this physical, physics-based realm. Right. Um, and that's, yes, that is very important. That's why I was able to cookbook all kinds of illnesses and very successfully. But then there's a special realm, which is what the alternative medicine or what we call, you know, non, our non-traditional non-Western medicine addresses, which is all the rest. Right. Everything else. And if you're, if you're just living in your physical body, well, that, you know, we can help you just fine. If you're living in your physical body and your spiritual body is in need of healing, we have a hard time doing that. We can throw drugs at you. You know, we can, we can do all kinds of physical interventions, but that's it. Talk intervention, as it turns out, has become less and less popular the more drugs we have, which I found very disturbing. And so one of the things... Uh, that non-traditional medicine has opened my eyes up to is the richness and the beauty of the special treatments. And yeah, I mean, I, I, I studied herbal medicine. My mom's from Germany. So we did uh, homeopathic medicine when I was growing up, which I rolled my eyes at because my dad rolled his eyes. <laughs> right, right. But I, I found out that, that that very rich, very deep space of the non-physical has so much potential and not just potential people are, are using it on a regular basis, not necessarily comfortably because we, you have this, this horrible oppression of, you know, the traditional Western medicine over you saying that you know, that's not, that's not working. That's just a sham. Well, it's not. And it may be perfectly good for you as an individual, not generally necessarily, but as an individual. So that's, that was what I explored. So tell me a little bit of, about that. I'm, I'm interested in that that pressure that here, here you're an ER doctor, you're doing this, and then you're, you're starting to discover this new way of doing medicine. What was that like? Well, okay, it was very strange because when you enter the spiritual realm and you enter it as a participant, you actually, uh, and, and, and I don't know how else to express this, but you become a spiritual being. You're not just a physical being anymore. Now, just to, to ground you, everybody is physical. You know, everybody, right. all, all human beings are physical. And that was one of the things we had to do in our energy medicine classes is ground ourselves. So when I talk about this, my spiritual being, 
I had to ground myself or else I would like float away into some weird headspace. Um, so I do a lot of gardening and I do a lot of hiking. I do a lot of physical things with, with my hands. And that always will reground me if I've had a spiritual experience that has destabilized me. So let me give you an example. Uh, we were very busy one evening, like we always were, but uh, more busy than normal. And there was a young man who was in, uh, in a group home. He was like in, uh, in his early 20s. He was in a group home for disturbed young men. And one of his best friends in that group home uh, committed suicide. So he came to the ER, very busy. Nobody you know, wanted to talk to him because he wasn't suicidal, but he, he was disturbed and distressed. So I went out into the waiting room knowing that it would take hours and hours for him to be seen. I sat down, I talked to him. I asked, how are you feeling? And I was already a spiritual being at this point. So um, he said, my best friend committed suicide and he's still here with me. I didn't look at him like he was crazy. I said, and what is he saying to you? Which I wouldn't have said, you know, right. Years ago. That's that's, that's crazy. I, right. So I, and the interesting thing is, I was the one doctor who was sent back there. And why Why me? Well, I know why me. Because the spiritual world is very present. Okay. So right. I, I sat with him and basically he held my hand like he was going to crush my hand because <laughs> he was getting energy from me. That's fine. And I got my gardening. I can regenerate. But he was, he was holding my hand and he was crying and crying and crying. And at the end of just me listening to him, he, he took a deep breath with all kinds of chaos around him. Deep breath. And he said, thank you. And he left. And I know he did well. I yeah. know he did well because I validated his existence at that point, his spiritual existence, his distress, his interaction with his best friend who still is present. And, and I said, it's okay. He is there. He's on the other right. side. And he's, he's trying to help you. He's trying to figure out things for himself, yes. I mean, he's he's in a in a place, uh, and and luckily this this uh, young man did believe in God, uh, which is very helpful, very very helpful. In a twelve step program, you believe in a higher power, right. a higher power outside of you. The Pasna Buddhism, those elements are not attached to a higher power; it's attached to a higher self. It's all personal, so that's separate. It's separate. It's it's related. And if you want to do Vipassana and Buddhism, you have to understand that yours is the ceiling. On the other hand, a 12-step program, God is the ceiling and God is infinite. It's a much bigger ceiling. It's not a ceiling. God's never a ceiling. So it's a much, much bigger space. So given that, that much, much bigger space is actually above the physical space that oppresses us into or compresses us, I should say, into a physical being. And that was my understanding at that point with that young man, that there's something far greater, far better than our physical self. Uh, And and, and he he just corroborated it uh, with me. And I, I came out of that, I felt like I had been gardening for a week. It's like I was complete, I was refreshed. And it kind of blew my mind. But then it made perfect sense as the weeks and months went on. And I, I kept on contemplating that my interaction with him. He he drew energy from me in the beginning. And I was thinking, okay, I got to do some gardening after this. And right. then and then he gave it back to me. 
So that's the beauty. That's the unbelievable beauty of this understanding. There's something spiritually higher than us, the higher self. It's almost like the way I, I conceptualize it for, for myself is it's, it's almost like the awe, awe of the universe, right? Yes, it's, yes. It's, it's, it's that there's something bigger out there that we don't understand and don't know at this point. Maybe we will. I don't know. Um, but there is something it, to me, there is something going on out there of an exchange of energy. I mean, I feel it. I don't know what that is. Maybe there's a scientific explanation for that. And I'd be open to that too, but I, I can understand that exchange of energy that happens when you sit with a hu another human being in that capacity. It, it, it's amazing. Right. It is amazing. And, it, and it's healing for everyone around. Exactly, exactly. And that's the awareness that I want my readers to, to uh, achieve, that kind of awareness, that kind of sight. So let's talk about your, your book a little bit because you go into things that individuals can do to kind of work on this part of themselves. Right. Um, so I, I go along two different, two separate but related paths. One, as we discussed, is the uh, ultimately the 12-step, the one where there is a higher power above you, which a lot of people relate to. The second is the, the Buddhist concept of you are the higher self. You're, you're it. The buck stops with, with me. Right. It's those two paths that can both be achieved through meditation. And meditation is just getting into your mind, into your mind with with a, a certain strength and a certain understanding of how you get there and stay there and then use your mind in a structured way. That's meditation. It's structured. It right. uses a lot of energy. All this work uses a lot of energy. So my book gives the, you know, kind of the uh, parallel, not necessarily right. completely intersecting, parallel pathways of meditation towards a higher power and meditation towards your higher self, which includes the higher power, obviously. The higher power is always there. And I explain the illustrations, uh, obviously, in two dimensions. You've got the yin-yang symbol, how uh, ultimately we want to be more yang than yin. But in order to get that yang strength, the yin has to pull you down. It's like resistance training. The right. yin's pulling you down while you're always trying to remain up in, in your yang strength. So you have to have that as physical bodies. We have to have that, that tension. But to get to the point where you're always striving towards your higher self, your yang self, you need to know how to meditate <laughs> right? and how to act within, how to behave within that meditation. It's hard work. And, and it also helps to have an illustration along with it to uh, see where you are, where you are spirit. You can't see your spirit. You can't see other people's spirits, but you can see the work in the in these illustrations where, where you're going. It gives you a construct to be able to do this work of what what I kind of hear is is balancing that balancing the self with I don't know I, the term bigger than us right yes. and being able to hold both of those in the same moment uh, of yes. time. And that's what I hear. That's what I hear yes. you saying. Yeah, yeah. And then balancing these parts of ourselves, I guess, to be our best self. 
exactly. But I don't call it the best self. Um, okay. I call it the higher self. Uh, because that means that, that that's actually a path. You're always striving to become better. So, right. and higher. So the best self, yes, at that moment. So in, at that moment in time, the best self is, is where you want to be. But you, then you want to always keep your eye on something that's even better than where you are. And it's doable. That's the thing. It's doable. Everybody has the capacity to do that has the ability unless you're you know obviously you're you're truly dying but even even after that you know even while you're dying you still have your if you have your mental capacity right and right i and, and i man I, I had some very interesting patients who who were brought to the er uh by family members um uh, they were on hospice so i had several of these patients that i personally watched carefully they were on hospice and they were in the ER, basically dying because the family member was very uncomfortable with them dying at home. That's fine. We, we, we right. accommodated right. everybody. So we had them hooked up to monitors and because that's what we do in the ER. We hook everybody up. And as they were dying, even if their minds were completely, completely gone through Alzheimer's or whatever it was, massive strokes, as they were dying and as the loved ones were gathered around the bed, the vital signs would perk up. And then uh, one woman <laughs> who just blew me away was actually, she was alert and her vital signs were, were, were going down, going down. She had uh, terminal congestive heart failure and her family members were there except for one daughter. And so she was in her seventies. She was elderly. Anyway, she, she was dying with, with Grace in the ER. She had just put on her beautiful pink lipstick. I remember her pink lips. Um, wow. And her vital signs started diminishing, diminishing. We were waiting, waiting, waiting for this daughter. And the woman took her like a, a deep breath. And then her daughter came in and uh, the vital signs were, there were no vital signs. <laughs> she looked right. at her daughter and she, she had taken, she took her last breath. She said, I love you. Goodbye. She was dead. Wow. <laughs> so anyway, that was, that was very dramatic. I mean, I, that was the one and only woman like her, but the other patients whose minds had were completely gone when their loved ones were there and they entered the room and, and took hold of, you know, the hand, the vital signs started increasing and then gradually they went down and then they expired. So there's an awareness there. There's, yeah, that higher whatever it is. So I have a question for you. Looking at yourself, right? The beginning ER doctor going, I'm sure there were events, sim, you know, people dying in the ER that, that happens right. to this this place where you are now and and witnessing these events from this different perspective. I'm just I'm just wondering what that's like. Oh wow. It's like going from blind to sighted and then exploring the rest of the world through completely new eyes. I mean, I was, I was literally spiritually blind. I was just present in the, phys, in the physical world, which is gorgeous, you know, obviously. Right. Right. You know, all, all the things that are physical, we were, were delighted with, but being able to see through spiritual eyes, 22 years, 23 years ago now is the richness that I believe a 12 step program gives you. I'm not sure. Buddhism and, and Vipassana 
give you that ability, but it's in a much smaller realm because it's in your mind and in through your eyes. Right. When you go through a 12-step program, my understanding is you experience through other people's eyes and minds as well. It's a shared experience, which makes it much, much richer. I, I have been so impressed with, with people who've gone through 12-step programs. They're, they're struggling with something that's much bigger than them, much bigger than them. And, and they do it. They actually right. do it. When they're on the other side. Yeah, they may have physical uh, disabilities Sure, um, caused sure. by you know deterioration from from their addiction but man they are spiritually giants i'm i'm just so impressed they're, they're so able to to turn around and help others from a very very rich uh, visual perspective spiritually visual perspective so that was my transformation obviously not as an addict but as as somebody who's able to see from somebody else's perspective put myself in somebody else's shoes and it's like this book that you wrote is your sharing of that vision for others. Right. Exactly. To, to, to be able to give them that, uh, that sight that maybe I picture the person who's, who comes in and, and, you know, into the ER and can't do these things. And then being able to just give them, a doorway right to to open that possibility to to see the bigger world right exactly or the bigger whatever it is existence it's it's existence really, it's consciousness existence. yeah right right all that yeah wow what a what a what an incredible what an incredible gift that you're you're giving to all these people and and your wisdom Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's good. I just think it's great. I love it because <laughs> I, I guess uh, I I understand it on a certain level because I mean, that's one of the reasons I do the podcast is, yeah. you know, is to to share some of that because it's just filled with a lot more joy, hopefulness, and uh, less suffering. Exactly. Right. 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 With a lot of work. <laughs> with a lot of work. Yeah. Yeah. You have to do that right. part. This isn't like something you just know you, you have to, you have to, you have to work on it. You have to work right. on that. And, but it's worth it, right? It's, yeah. it's go do it. Right. It's, it's right. worth it. So with that, if someone wanted to know more about this, how, how could they find you? Um, well, I have a website, monabalog.com. You can look at that. It just talks about my book, obviously. Um, and, and then I have a little blog where I add more uh, meditations and obviously people can ask me questions so monobalog.com is my website and then if you want to uh, go on my website you can order the book through amazon or however you want to order the book awesome um, yeah i will definitely put all those links in the show notes too so people can go okay. to the addictedmind.com and and look up your episode and and uh, be able to 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 click on that as well so before right. we wrap i usually like to ask like if there's Somebody's listening to the podcast and you could share one thing with them. What what would you want to tell them? Well, basically what I tell all my patients, um, you can get better. There's a higher self in you. You do need to work a little bit at it, but never, never, never give up hope uh, about yourself. You're, you're a, an incredibly unique and special being. I want you to be able to see yourself that way and then go for it work towards your higher self always work towards your higher self mona awesome <laughs> thank you so much for coming on and and sharing your your passion and your wisdom 
I, I love having guests on that just want to help people. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. All right, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Addicted Mind podcast. As usual, all the show notes will be at theaddictedmind.com forward slash 118. Thank you for listening to the Addicted Mind podcast. Please be safe out there. And I will talk to you on the next episode. Oh, hey, it's Erin. And I'm Michaela, and we're the hosts of the Two Sober Girls podcast, and we are on a mission to spill the wild truth about sobriety. Forget the rosé all day cliche. Sobriety is flipping amazing. Absolutely. It's not just about quitting the drink. It's a gift you give yourself and your loved ones. So what are you waiting for? Break up with that old toxic relationship with alcohol and let us show you the possibilities. And here's the thing. Everything your precious heart desires becomes way easier without the influence of alcohol. We're not just two sober girls. We're also wellness coaches. We're here to show you how to optimize health, lifestyle, and beauty, feel sexy and alive as F. So stay tuned because we're rolling out new episodes every Monday, wherever you get your podcasts and trust us. They have your name written all over them. We can't wait to share the magic of sobriety and wellness with you. Subscribe to Two Sober Girls Podcast today and come follow us on Instagram for behind the scenes action and send us a DM. We can't wait to meet you.